0: Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a a cross. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated.
1: Our guest speaker today doesn't need a lot of introduction to the majority of you because he was on staff with us here for 18 years until about, was it four years ago? when he moved across town to be, uh, become the executive pastor at Parkcrest, which is a large church over by Hartwell Park, a, a friend, friend of ours. And um, he is married to Sarah and is the father of five children. And because Sarah has two sisters here, he is the uncle to over half of our children's ministry. <laughs> Um, on a, if you remember back to uh, February this year, there was a letter that was written to us from 18 pastors of other churches in the city when we were, we were starting to go through a particular season here, and Eric was kind of the orchestrator behind that. He knows over half the city as well. He knows everybody, and so he, got the, he sort of worked with these churches to write this letter of support to us. And on a side note, I'm really pleased to say that next weekend we are actually taking away about 13 of those city leaders to a psalms retreat that we're putting on kind of as a way to say thank you to them for their support to us in this season so for those of you that know about the psalms retreat maybe i could invite you to pray that that would be a really special time for us bonding together with these leaders um, of other churches back to eric though the reason um, why i'm really excited to hear from him this morning is less to do with what he does and more to do with who he is Eric is an incredible friend, especially in this, this last season. He's been really close to us in the last year. He loves really, really well. He's the kind of guy that no matter how busy he is, and he's very busy, he always takes the time to stop and ask and genuinely listen to whatever you might share with him. He is full of integrity, and I really respect that about you, Eric. And he makes me want to look more like Jesus because of the Jesus that I see in him. So we're very, very honored and very, very pleased to have you with us this morning. Eric, take it over.
2: Uh, For those of you who have come to Grace in the past four years, I apologize if this seems a bit like a family reunion. As Beth said, um, there was like 14 kids that came up and said, Hi, Uncle Eric, when I got here. She was not exaggerating. Um this also feels very much like a um kind of greatest hits of who who's made me the best man I can be. As I look out, I see people who have said, I want you to be more like Jesus and have given their lives to me and to my family. All of our children were born here, not literally, it was more like memorial, but you get the picture. Uh, I courted my wife here. Um and we got married while we were here. So it is a great honor to be here, and uh, I, I, very humbling, very humbling. Um, so Daniel has asked me to preach on humility, so I will give that a shot. But the, uh, the first thing I want to tell you about is I want to tell you about the first time I washed somebody else's feet. I was in the lobby, just out here behind where you're sitting, and I had uh, been dating this very pretty girl who was uh, with me at the service, and I had not been Brethren for very long. And it was my first time coming into a service where I was going to um, get to wash her feet, and and so I really was hyped up about this because I thought this is this is a significant spiritual moment. And we were next; we, we had set up the service so you're right next to other people, and so everything that they're talking about, you're hearing, and vice versa. Um, But the two men that we were sitting next to were both very grumpy. And as I was kneeling, experiencing and and wanting to recreate what what it was like the the night before Christ was crucified, um, one man was talking about his boat, and the other one was loudly complaining about his work. And both of them were in leadership here at the church. Um, But I just thought, man, that's not the way it's supposed to be. See, so you're in a series right now called Becoming, and one of the things that we need to remember about becoming is it's not as much what you're doing. If you're doing the things of the people of God, it's who you're becoming. It's the fruit. You all place fruit up on the wall, and I walked around this week. Beth let me in the building, and I looked at the fruit that you want to become. I have heard what this church wants to be. It. You can do the things of Jesus. You can do the things like wash your feet, but not be becoming like Jesus. Daniel initiated this, this um, series last week. Humility, trust, hope, and joy. Just because we do the activities like read Scripture or pray or be with other Christians for meals or even wash others' feet, it doesn't, doesn't mean we're necessarily becoming like Jesus. Who you are becoming is more important than what you do. Colossians 3. All of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as through reflected in a mirror are being transformed into that image. Becoming like Jesus is a very, very slow process. This several weeks, you're going to look at these virtues. Humility, trust, hope, and joy. The Pharisees did the right things. They did all the right things. But incident after incident, we see that they were not becoming like Jesus. Doing the right things are good, but it doesn't make you necessarily more like Him. So, this morning we're going to look at humility. And I want to tell you a story about a man that I met at a time in which, a weekend in which I was, I was rather frantic on the outside and on the inside. I was at a conference in Los Angeles up by the Staples Center, and I had seen this speaker at the main stage, he did this nine-minute talk. It was amazing, and I wanted to meet him. And about uh, 48 hours later, I ran into him on the intersection of—I uh, don't remember what street it was—but it was right across from uh, the Staples Center. And the intersection was crazy busy. It was a Friday night, and I had just received a phone call from my from my wife, and she had told me how the little league game had gone earlier that evening. And our kids were playing little league up in North Long Beach, and there had been a fist fight between the coaches at the little league game. And uh, things were not going well uh, at home. We have five kids, and the youngest was in diapers. The oldest was trying not to have his coaches fight at the game. And, and I was, I was uh, internally, I was, I was frantic. I, I wanted to be home, but I couldn't get home. I had to stay for the conference. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. But I saw the speaker who had so eloquently spoken in front of 2,000 people, and I said, Tyler... Could I talk to you just for a second? And and to my great surprise in the corner of Figueroa, um, he said yes. And he stood there, and he was fully present with me. And about ten minutes passed, and I realized I was was unburdening myself of of what was really, really weighing on me. And... I realized in that moment that the power of his presence in front of me with one person, an audience of one, was far more powerful than what he said in an audience of 2,000. Have you ever experienced that from another human being? Have you ever been with someone who is so present to you that you, you literally forget that time is, is passing? All of the craziness going on in your brain, all of the fistfights of the Little League games back in Long Beach, They fade away. Here's what it felt like to me. I felt like I was seen. I felt like my story mattered. I felt like what I was doing and who I was was important, not only to Him, but to God. I walked away and I wanted to worship God more. I walked away hopeful. I walked away with the assurance that the life we talk about was true. That Christ was alive in me, that the Spirit was active, and that what we do matters. C.S. Lewis says, To get near humility, even for a moment, is like a cold drink of water to a man in a desert. Frankly, it was the opposite of what I had felt in the presence of a lot of other people at that conference. Ever been in a meeting where everyone who's at the meeting, who is talking to you, seems to be looking slightly past you to the people behind, behind you that might be more important? It seemed like the people I would speak with, not the ones on the corner, but literally the ones that I would speak with at the conference, they were just looking past me to talk to someone who might be more important. Or they wanted, after they heard, after they heard or even asked me what I was doing or how... How I was doing. They immediately wanted to tell a story of what they were doing, their quest or their talent, or their learning. And as I walked away from that corner in Figueroa, I asked myself the question: why are more why aren't more people like this? But if I'm going to be honest, it wasn't just the other people. It was me too. I looked over other shoulders. I had definitely felt the need to share with others how great I was and how amazing Long Beach is. That's true. I'm not sure if I'm great, but Long Beach is amazing. I did the same thing that I was feeling the pain of when others did it to me. On that street corner, I realized I was in the presence of someone who was really humble. Later on, I found out that Tyler had interned for John Stott. Now, some of you are aware of who John Stott is. John Stott is probably, if not, if not, if Billy Graham's number one, John Stott was number two for evangelicals in the 20th century. When John Stott was 70, this Tyler interned for him, and, and Tyler would later tell me that he would fly around the country around the world with, with Dr. Stott, and Dr. Stott would stay after after speaking to 10,000 people, he would stay in the presence of everyone who wanted to speak with him until the last person was gone. He said, I was in Manila, Eric. He was 70 years old. He had flown all night. He spoke for three hours, and he waited until this 14-year-old girl had finished what she wanted to say. Humility. Philippians 2, passage that was read today. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interests of others. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. That's shorthand for pride. What is pride? Pride grabs, grabs on and doesn't let go. Pride... Asserts that I am more important than you. Life is by me and life is for me. Pride believes that my time, my desires, and my interests matter more than yours. Pride insists that I need to be more than you, that I need to dominate. Pride is consumed by comparison. Alex Rodriguez signed the highest paid contract in any sports history about 15 years ago with the Texas Rangers. He insisted that it would be $252 million because the, other high, the second highest contract was 126, and he needed to be twice as much. Pride is consumed with comparison. Pride is the one sin that is obvious to everyone else, but we can't see it in ourselves. Pride is the sin that many who consider themselves religious suffer from and also the reason that people reject Jesus. Pride is our natural default. About three or four years ago, um, there was an ambulance. We heard the fire engine and the ambulance come down California Avenue where we live and a woman who was apparently homeless and on some type of drug was, was having a strong reaction and the ambulance came to take care of this woman. Now, my neighbor had to go get some groceries. And I was stunned at when she walked over to me and she said, I wonder when they're going to move this ambulance because I have to go get groceries. And I, you know, I roll my eyes, but in my heart, that's how I am as well. Please, can you deal with this other person so that I can meet my own need? Some of you have read an address called This is Water by David Foster Wallace, a famous writer. He says it this way, Pride is our default. If left to our own devices, this is what we'll get. This is who we are. Pride, or as the scriptures say, selfish ambition and vain conceit, produces the opposite of what I felt like when I was talking to Tyler. In contrast, humility. The passage says, Humility is when you value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. So what is humility? There's a number of definitions. As Daniel gave us a definition last week. It involves the modest view of one's importance, the absence of pride, a low sense of self. Now I have to confess that I am a little bit anxious talking about Humility in this crowd because there's at least three professional philosophers who've written academic papers on the subject sitting in the audience today. It's a bit like going up to Lakers practice this next year and with the newest Laker from Ohio giving a paper on how to play basketball, Um, but I will give it a chance. Here's the bottom line for those of you that are not professional philosophers. Writers throughout history have essentially agreed on this. We can can parse the definition, but we're going to be hesitant to define it. I was in a a, a program for six months at Biola where we looked at humility, and there was a huge hesitancy to define it. But all of the writers, both in the 1800s and the 1500s and then in, in the 2000s, they've all said, we may have a hard time defining it, but all of us know it when we see it. You know humility when you see humility. I was, I think I was 23 years old when I first went to London. I walked into the National Gallery right off of Trafalgar Square and tucked up the stairs to the left is this most amazing chalk drawing by Leonardo da Vinci. And I hadn't seen any other da Vinci live. I didn't really understand why it was such a big deal. But when I stood in that room by myself, I understood that I didn't know why it was good art, but I was in the presence of amazing art. What he had done with chalk was stunning. I couldn't define it, but I knew I was in the, in, in the presence of it. The same is true with humility. So what does it look like? What does humility look like tangibly? Humility assumes that your interests are, are more important than mine. Humility believes that if you gain, I don't necessarily lose. Humility assumes that I have something that I can lay down and that I'm willing to let it go. Humility is based on the truth. It's realistic. Humility says life is a gift. I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly deserve all the good things that I've been, I've been given. My friends, my family, my health. Humility says life is a gift. Humility doesn't let you, t- let you take life too seriously. It encourages laughter. Humility seems crazy to most people. Universally, it's been seen as is the act of a fool to be humble. People who don't know Jesus think, why would you be humble? And over the last couple of years, I'd even say people who even are following Jesus sometimes think, that humility is foolish. Humility, brothers and sisters, is the starting point in our relationship with Jesus. Humility also brings life to others. So, one question that I ask for this semester is is humility underselling ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you the interests of others question that comes up all the time is, if I'm humble, what if I'm better than someone? Can I be humble and better than someone? I think you can be humble and still better than someone and even believe that. Behind me is a piano. And if you have heard me play the piano, you've heard one song, Seven Bars. I play the Pink Panther very well. (laughs) In humility, Brian Chung is not here today, but in humility, Brian Chung could say, can be humble and say, I play the piano better than Eric. It's not not humble for Brian to say, this, this beautiful grand piano, I'm going to go ahead and play the piano and I'm better than it. I played the piano for seven years and it was the worst financial decision my parents ever made. To say, for Brian to say I'm better than Eric is, can still be humble. The main interest, the main idea is the interests of others. To my right is a dear friend of mine, Dr. Brown. If anyone in this room has a medical emergency while I'm talking, I defer to him. <laughs> He's a radiologist, but I think he knows all the other stuff that doctors do. So, <laughs> it's not pride, for him to step into a situation and say, I'm a doctor. When we have gifts to use those gifts, it's not pride to use those gifts. It's to use them for the interests of others. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. I had a misconception of humility for years and years and years. I used to think it was meek and mild and this person who puts their head down and just kind of mumbles like I'm not worthy and hits themselves with some kind of stone. No, it's not saying I'm lowly all the time. It's being aware of the fact that God has given us gifts, but then it's being willing to say, but I put you above myself. C.S. Lewis in another article said something like this. He said, look, it's not like if you walk into a person who's truly humble, you're going to see them just muttering like, woe is me, woe is me. I don't have any gifts. I'm not good at anything. He said, I think what you'll see actually is he's the most cheerful and intelligent chap who will take incredible interest in you. And then he said this if you dislike him, it's because you are envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life this much. He will not be thinking about humility, he will not be thinking of himself at all. Humility is not thinking of yourself less, it's just not thinking of yourself at all. So here's some ideas. I want to give you some ideas. I want to be very practical. I want to give you five ideas that I've stolen bla- brazenly from other people that have worked for me. And as I said earlier, as I even began with the sermon illustration of the, the, the washing of the feet, if you do these things, it doesn't mean you're going to be more humble. Our posture, our heart attitude is what matters. But I think these things can be helpful as we learn. And I, I don't want you to try to do all five. Five's too many things. I want you to try to do one of them this week. I want to say a couple of warnings as well. One warning and then one, one challenge to this church. The warning and the, the the it's really an ironic thing, and that is it's it's we can become very proud of how we're trying to be humble. So be wary of that. I know it's ironic. Listen to the tape again if you if you didn't get that joke. Um, it is only with God's help can we be humble. And now before I go into uh, the five, I, wa- I want to I take a little bit of a risk and I want to remind you of what the consultant said about the church when Nancy came and read, read the report and the report of this church. And this is a little bit of me reading your mail, but I have read your mail. Um, she said, and I quote, there's a shadow side of grace and it is a critical spirit. I want to say two things. One, I contributed to that. And so that as a leader, as a former leader in this church, I'm sorry. Two, I think she's right. This church has had a critical spirit and, and has had a critical spirit for for a long time and has been proud for longer than that. This church used to get its pride out of being the biggest and most important church in the town. And then after it wasn't the, the biggest church anymore, it got its spirit critical spirit out of I think out of being better than everybody else. And I contributed to that and I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. I'm done with with the uh, exhortation. On to how to get better. Uh, Number one, write a note to someone who has helped you recently. Here's the deal. We forget quickly the people who help us. We forget very quickly how much we're indebted to others. So why write a note? It's a very tangible way to acknowledge the way that the others have helped us. My mother-in-law, the entire school year this last year, came down on Tuesdays and helped our kids study. As I was reflecting at the end of this last year on how well our kids did at school, I got really, really excited about how well Sarah and I did at leading them. (laughs) I forgot their teachers. I forgot how hard they worked. And I absolutely forgot for a moment how much my mother-in-law had sacrificed to drive down from Brea every single week to help tutor the children. I had a difficult situation recently in our extended family, and at 9 o'clock I called a friend because I didn't know how to solve the problem and it felt like it had to be dealt with at night. Now, about an hour later at 10 o'clock I get a phone call from this person And this person helped me solve that problem. And I, when I think of how much ground we've taken in the extended family with this problem, I forget that that person called me back and continues to call me back to help me. See, my confession today is that I forget. I I think you forget too. To be thankful, to remember, and to say thank you to the people who have helped us is to remember very tangibly that we can't do it by ourselves. Our pride lies to us and says says that we can. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. So, write a note. For those of you who know my wife, I'm in some ways channeling her. Don't, Don't send a text, don't write a Facebook message. Those are nice. Get off your phone. Take a piece of paper and an envelope. The USPS still works. Send them a letter that they can keep. Somebody wrote a note. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'll say it. Somebody wrote a note to Dave Parsons. And every time I see Dave Parsons, he tells me about this note that someone wrote him about 15 years ago. Write a note to someone who's helped you recently. Number two, become a better listener. In every conversation you have this week, Make it a goal to ask at least two thoughtful questions. Avoid introducing yourself into the conversation. Important caveat, humility is more than listening. Well, that that should be obvious. I learned humility from my oldest son when he comes in and he says, Dad, I'm sorry. Those of you that have admitted you have problems with anger or you have substance abuse or other addictions, of course, that is huge markers of humility. But to be a better listener is not a natural thing. It's very, very hard for some. It's very doable for all of us. The Bible talks a lot about the tongue in Proverbs. It's a special way in which our ability to not talk too much is a marker of what's going on in our hearts. For introverts, it's not hard for you to not necessarily talk in conversations. But for those of you that are wired as extroverts like me, Pay attention. We can quickly become, many of you have seen the skit by Brian Regan and his Me Monster, consuming all of the oxygen in a room, wanting to talk and consume and share about how well we did on a test or how we are better than them because we've done one more than the people who have just shared before us. It is our tendency and our temptation for those of you that are wired like me to think that everyone in the room wants to hear everything about us. So ask thoughtful questions. Chuck Klosterman, who is a social critic and a writer, he said, I just put a microphone in front of people and I ask a thoughtful question, one question. And almost every time I only have to ask that one question, people talk for 90 minutes. Here's why everyone wants to share Everybody wants to tell their story. It's one of the ways we can most simply love our neighbors. People will tell you more than you might imagine, just because you ask. That's what happened to me at the corner in Staple Center. is I asked if I could share, and he asked me a question. Become a better listener. Number three: take care of the confession of your sins. Pick a day. Keep a journal on your affections and your actions. Before you go to bed, find a quiet place and confess your sin. Confess the obvious sins and confess the subtle ones. Brothers and sisters, the burdens you carry are heavy. Lay them down. Your pretending is taking up so much of your energy. Forgiveness is what Jesus wants to give you in mark one Jesus says that he that they 're going to go preach the gospel to these i can i 'm losing it right now I think mark one they 're going to preach the gospel to these christians sorry it 's roman one and they they 're going to preach the gospel to these christians and i 've always wondered. Why are you going to preach the gospel to Christians? Haven't they already received Jesus? And the fact is, we need to hear the gospel again and again and again as well, that we're forgiven. Take care of the confession of your sin. In the Old Testament, we saw this on Wednesday, when the Jews from around Long Beach came to this neighborhood to come for this great day of of repentance. The Jews have to go to someone else, the priest, to, to be a mediator before God. But the book of Hebrews is clear. Jesus is the final sacrifice. When we recognize and confess our sin, it goes right after pride. When you are aware of how dark your heart is, it makes it more difficult to judge others or to think you're so special. One of my favorite authors, one of Daniel's favorite authors, wrote in her novel... There is freedom in criticizing ourselves in God's presence. Confess. Take care of the confession of your sin. Number four, learn the name of someone who is serving you. My sister, uh, after graduating from Biola, she worked, um, when my brother-in-law was starting his career, she was working as a what crassly would be called a beer cart girl at a golf course. And she was serving this family. And this rich kid in Del Mar said, When I grow older, I want to be a servant like you. She said, I am a server, not a servant. (laughs) But I think the true true meaning behind that and the way we look at the people who are serving us is true. Justice Roberts gave a talk to a group of junior high boys earlier this year, and he said, Learn the name of the garbage collector, the bus boil, and and the mailman. You will always be tempted by pride if you are unable to see the people who are serving you. We have a great temptation to think we're better than the people who are bringing us food. Learn the name of someone who serves you. And lastly, number five, be ready to accept humiliation. It's the root of the word humble, but it's the thing that none of us want. If you're you're willing to take the risk to to have this be the one that you're going to work on this week, to be ready to accept humiliation, begin by asking Jesus to give you the strength to do the two things that we're most tempted to do when we're humiliated, to fight it or run from it. If you ask the Lord to give you a chance to be humiliated this week, He will gladly give you a chance. (laughs) It hurts terribly to be humiliated may happen at work. may happen at home. I've never known anyone who willingly goes and moves towards humiliation. But it always works. It always humbles us. I'm just a pastor, but as I think about the context in which I do ministry, as I think about my friends, as I think about my family, I think we could use some more humility. May you and I do the hard work of thinking of ourselves less. I want to finish, if I may, just with a prayer for you, so would you please close your eyes and let me pray a benediction over over this congregation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may we know the deepest levels that you, Jesus, are with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, and that we can cast all of our care upon you. May we know that we are more loved than we ever dared hope by Jesus Christ, the original humble servant. In His name we pray. Amen.